Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, City Collective, and happy birthday. What a great day it is to celebrate. I think we can say with complete honesty that this has not been the second year that we expected, but one that I am so grateful for because it has been a powerful story of God's faithfulness in the midst of every season. So if this is your first time here or first time in a long time, we're thrilled that you're here with us on this birthday celebrating, celebrating Sunday. We are in the middle of a series called Ravens and Roses, looking at loss, grief, and when life doesn't go according to plan, considering what the Bible has to say in the midst of the inevitable reality of all three of those areas. I know that it's been an important conversation because in week one, we started looking at the story of King Saul, looking at the loss of vision. And then last week, we looked at Naomi and Ruth, looking at loss of life. And there have been, like I said, some powerful conversations and revelations that have come out of some deep work into this important area. But today, today is our two-year celebration, and this is an occasion to celebrate, to give thanks, to remember and reflect upon and and see how God has cared for us and is preparing us for years to come as a church. We've got so much to be thankful for. We definitely did not have Church Online listed as a primary platform for us to gather at the start of our second year, but on this platform, There has been so much goodness that I'm excited to see spill over into the season to come. With our hubs coming to life and and now evening services tonight, we get to celebrate together. Yet, though that goodness persisted, it would be disingenuous to say that the year hasn't had its moments of loss to it. Lost opportunity, lost momentum, lost growth. And what I've learned is that the things which I grieve in loss they deeply expose what I carry as worthy of celebration. Loss and victory, mourning and celebration, they are two sides of the same coin. And we're celebrating today, but we need to also see what is God leading us towards as a church? How are we stepping forward, learning from the season that was, the year that was? If we pay attention, We learn a lot in moments of victory, but I would say we learn even more in moments of loss. Because here's the thing, loss is only possible when there is relationship, pleasure, or expectation. Expectation in particular, something that we carry a lot of. Um, there, there, There is an aspect, an attribute of our eternal God that I'd like to offer up to you in this introduction. There is an aspect of God's existence that is not overtly spiritual, but it is uniquely important. And that is, amongst other things, the simple fact that God is a planner. Somebody at home say planner. By saying that, I'm saying that God does not act reactively or impulsively. I'm contending that God is strategic, intentional, methodical in executing his intentions for his people. And whatever is a surprise to you is not a surprise to God. Because God is a planner. Scripture, it corroborates this idea. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, he burdens the heart of the prophet Jeremiah for his people. A people who are experiencing exile. They are oppressed, suppressed, and they are depressed. They would dub and and designate that season 
as the worst season in their life. They've been ripped from their homeland. They've been ripped from their religion. They've been ripped from their relationships. And in the midst of what is seemingly the worst season of their life, God gives a message. And God gives a messenger for his people. A message that is tailor-made for this situation that is going to bring them not simply a thought, nice thought, but elevation. God tells Jeremiah this. He says to tell people who are weeping, wounded, and worn, for I know the plans I have for you. That you're upset, but I have a plan. You're confused, but I have a plan. You are disappointed, but I have a plan. You are hurting, but I have a plan. He didn't say we know. He didn't say you know. He didn't say uno. He, he said, I know. I'm not going to tell you what the plan is, but I'm going to tell you what the plan does. The plans I have for you will, will prosper you, not to harm you. They're plans to give you hope and a future. And isn't that what we all want, a, a, a hope and a future? And yet the greatest inhibitor of grabbing that hope is often simply because our hands are already too full. So listen to me this morning. We are talking about loss and we're talking about grief and we're talking about when life doesn't go according to plan. And there are moments of loss that simply demand our mourning and weeping together. We talked about that. But there's another aspect of loss that we're also invited to learn from. There are moments where loss is necessary. And the conflict with what I'm communicating is that God isn't the only one who has plans for us. We have plans for ourselves. We have expectations for our life, and some are spoken, some are unspoken, uh, and we haven't communicated them, but we still kind of expect them. Hashtag marriage. <laughs> some of our expectations are unconscious, and we didn't know we were expecting them till we didn't get them and we got mad about it. <laughs> Have you ever had this happen to you where you weren't even aware that you were expecting a text from a person on your birthday till your birthday passed and you didn't get that text from them? Didn't feel so good. We can have expectations unconsciously about our professional lives, our relational lives, our spiritual lives, where we feel like we should be somewhere where we are frustrated about what skills we should have developed, about what stage we should be entering, what dysfunctional habits we would have supposedly be divorced from at this point. These expectations are consistent no matter who you are, but one thing I can tell you about expectations and about life is this, that you can expect the unexpected. So a key and critical kingdom life skill is the skill of how to manage and adjust when you face something that you didn't see coming, when something does not go according to plan. Because God's plan for us are, is better than the plans we have for ourselves. There's a text in the book of Jude, which I believe helps us engage with this idea. So if you could turn with me to Jude chapter 1, looking at verse 9. And it says this, But even the archangel Michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. 
Now maybe you've never read Jude before and you never even thought about this idea of archangels, but this is what we're dealing with right now. Now this verse is an exchange between an angel named Michael and Satan. This story, it, it actually comes from Jewish tradition as recorded in a non-scriptural book titled The Assumption of Moses. And in the context Jude is using, it doesn't really matter whether this is an actual historical event or merely an example being given from a traditional story, but Jude is writing to a very Jewish audience. He's referring to an apocryphal book known as the Assumption of Moses, which only small portions have survived, and we only know that this was a story known to his readers, to his listeners. And according to teachers in the early church, Jude, he refers to this book and he tells this, this interaction. So why was there a dispute about Moses' body? That's the question I ask. He's died and they're arguing over a dead body. Why? Why is an angel and Satan arguing over a dead body? And why are they engaged in a hostile exchange over someone who isn't even alive? Why is Satan so concerned with the man who is no longer breathing? What's so significant about Moses that even when his time on earth has expired, Satan is obsessed with him, that he's so obsessed with him that he's concerned about where he is buried. Now, first off, I want to live a life worthy of that attention. When you live a life that thinks generationally like Moses, I believe that there is a legacy that you leave. But back to our story, this passage is actually in reference to Deuteronomy chapter 34, which says, then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. And there the Lord showed him the whole land. And then later on in the chapter it says, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. And he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. And then the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. So this passage in Jude and passage in Deuteronomy are connected because God wanted to bury Moses in a spot where no one knew where it was. But Satan, he wanted him to bury him in a spot where everyone knew where it was because Satan knew that it was highly likely that Israel would try to make a memorial out of Moses' grave. Others of them would be so attached to the memorial that they would stay stuck in the wilderness that they would not advance into Canaan, aka the promised land, because they would feel like moving on with Joshua is disrespectful to Moses. But here is the lesson we need to learn if we're going to embrace the power of God's healing in the midst of our loss. Israel knew that Joshua was Moses' successor. They knew that Moses was eventually going to pass away. They just didn't know when. But one day, Moses, he tells Israel, listen, I'm going to go on a walk with God. Last time he came back with some, some tablets when he went on a walk with God. So everyone was excited. Moses, he goes on a walk and, when he, and only God comes back. And he passes away and Israel gets no closure. Moses is gone, no closure. Because in moments of loss, if we are going to move on from the life that we thought we wanted, we sometimes need to be willing to move on without the closure we thought we needed. Some of us 
are still stuck in the past because we are waiting on closure. You are waiting on closure to move forward, then what you've done is you've placed your future in the hands of someone or something who, if we're being honest, is probably unwilling to acknowledge that damage that they have done in your past. This story reminds us that we must be willing to move on without a perfect answer. Many of us have questions about what what has happened or why this happened and are they going to apologize or is it going to get better? Are they going to say that they're sorry? What's going to happen next? But moving forward is not an exact formula. And it's not an exact formula in every situation. There will be moments we face where you need closure and God will provide it in the right timing. But if we are purely dependent on closure to take a step forward, we are going to become more concerned about our personal rightness than our pursuit of right relationship, of righteousness. And for us moving into year three, the idea that God has placed on my heart for us as a community is this word, release. Say with me at home, release. Now I've been learning some some release in my own life firsthand recently. We've, uh, we've been in the process of moving over the course of approximately the last two weeks. And, and I can say with all honesty, and I think we can all agree that moving doesn't make it on most top 10 lists of things to do. <laughs> Fun stat, I have moved at least once every year since 2015 and most years twice. And it's crazy how much stuff you accumulate that you didn't even know you had or didn't even know that you wanted to keep. (laughs) You're rifling through drawers, you're packing away boxes, and in the midst of it, there is always a mini purge that happens. Why, Why did I need to keep that third free Calgary Flame scarf that I got six years ago? I don't really know. Adriana's still asking that question, but you know what? You get rid of it and you feel good about it. I'm feeling so good about my mini purge. I've cut so many things down. I've even cut out a whole box. So part one, pack, done. Part two, move those boxes. And honestly, you're trying to carry as much as possible at one time down to the truck. You're balancing, you're sliding around corners, you're trying to maximize your movement. And every time I have moved, I have had at least one moment where I think to myself, man, I probably should have purged more. I probably didn't need what was in this box. And then on the walk down, man, I think to myself, I'm putting in the effort, I'm putting in the energy, and I end up justifying why I should have it. And it prolongs the process of moving and it takes a little longer. And what I'm trying to say this morning is sometimes loss is necessary. And we need to embrace this truth with the response of release. There are things that we are keeping around which are taking up more space than they should. It's like if I'm having my arms full of dodgeballs that I have been catching my entire life, and if maybe it feels good in the moment, maybe it needs to happen in the moment, but I refuse to let them go to catch what is next. And I can't catch what God is throwing my way if my hands are full of things that shouldn't be there. Sometimes loss is necessary. And in order to to move forward, we need to shift our thinking around simply categorizing loss as evil or wrong. Could it be 
that loss isn't always evil, that there are some things we lost that was necessary, that loss is inevitable, but hope is always possible. And I believe that this moment of loss for the Israelites, losing Moses and not knowing where he was buried, can teach us some things about necessary loss. The first thing I think we can learn from this story with Israel is that we need to admit the emotion. See, Israel had an emotional attachment to someone who had served them well in a previous season. They were in love with someone who could take them no further. They were in love with someone who was unequipped for their future. They were in love with someone who was an asset for a season that God had no intentions for them revisiting. God didn't want them to go back into the desert again. He had the promised land set before him. And Moses, he represented a romanticized view of their past and of our past. And for some of you in church this morning, that you've grown up in these church spaces, you have found a new church home or a home church such as ours, maybe difficult to accept because you have carried this romanticized view of a previous experience. But to embrace the present, you need to release the past. Learn from the past, but don't live in the past. We have emotional attachments to our romanticized view of what we thought life should be like. And when we think about the life we want, we can only think about romanticized versions of them. It's like someone who can't let go of what it's like to be that guy who's living in the glory days of high school. And, and, and he's unable to live in the responsibility of adulthood because he's romanticized that previous moment so much so that he didn't even realize that the loss of his status in high school was necessary for him to have any chance of growing up. It's that previous job that paid more, but you forget the cost it had on your family. It's that friendship which was a lot of fun, but really had no real depth. That relationship that made you feel wanted, but was destroying your sense of self-worth. We have areas of our stories that we romanticize and we hold on to, preventing us from moving forward. So are you ready to admit your emotions? We can develop an emotional attachment to what was and to the life we thought we wanted. And sometimes when we want something really, really bad, it feels like God. And we say to ourselves, it's gotta be God because I want it so bad. But when we are highly emotional, we don't think soberly. We get so upset. We would do things that we, would norm we wouldn't normally do. And one of the things that the enemy wants to do is to destroy our life. To, to destroy our life is to get us to make important decisions when we are emotionally intoxicated and sometimes we're attached to something emotionally to that point and we won't release it. There are areas of loss that we cling to which become more than an experience but an identity. You've got to admit the emotion. Because what does that do? Well, that increases your discernment and it allows you to ask honest questions of yourself. We need to admit the emotion. The second thing is we need to acknowledge our entitlement. Now, let's be, let's be honest. We know who Israel is, that based on their track record, someone in the camp wanted an answer for what happened to Moses. 
Someone had an elaborate celebration in mind for Moses' body, and when God made the decision not to reveal the location with a purpose of protection, that would have been difficult to take. They, they, they had other plans in mind, and when it didn't go according to plan, you know they would have had something to say. And we can have an attitude when things don't go according to plan because of our sense of entitlement. I've got a plan, it should go according to my plan. And you wanna talk about what you deserve. If life was simply a constant fulfillment of things that we deserve, I would contend that the scale wouldn't actually be in our favor. But I deserve to be able to know. I deserve what was coming in that situation. We feel like it is owed to us. But let's talk about the stuff that only you and me know. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thank goodness that our deservedness is not the qualifier of God's love for us, of God's plans for us, of God's purpose for us. Instead, through Jesus, we are given unconditional love, grace, peace, forgiveness, wherever we are right now. Thank goodness that my entitlement is not going to sabotage God's forgiveness. And God is like to the people of Israel, the only reason you had access to Moses is because I gave him to you. You were at your worst. They had abandoned God and were now worshiping the gods of Egypt. And then he gave him there his best, sent Moses. Now, it is gone and you seem to think that the place that you are was because of some other plan that you had, that you took you there. And God's saying, sometimes it might be tough to move on from the life that we thought we wanted because we feel entitled to it. We, we, we shift the script. If entitlement is the glue that is holding you to that moment of loss, it's time to release that. And we say, I'm smart enough, I'm gifted enough, I'm better than this person, I should be there. And all of those things might be true. But loss happened. And it's holding you. Entitlement comes when I'm thinking, I don't have what I do deserve, or I don't have it, but I deserve it. That's entitlement. But appreciation says, I don't deserve what I do have, and I'm so grateful. Loss can be a blinding smoke from all that we can be grateful for. Appreciation is the antidote to entitlement and gratitude. It breaks the back of entitlement. You can only move on from the life that you thought you wanted when you realize that you're not entitled to it. The third thing that the people of Israel, I think we can learn from their story, is we need to refuse to revisit what you can't revise. Some of our reminiscing is counterproductive. Once you've extracted all of the lessons you can from your past, there really is no reason to keep bringing up and keep torturing yourself. And we are so guilty of revisiting what we can't revise. But that is the enemy accusing the brethren, using the past to keep us from getting to our future. He's using our mistakes to keep us in this maze of misery where we're just going back and forth, back to that same spot. But loss is not the final word. Jesus has the final word. Therefore, the victory won in that grave is the hope we hold on to for tomorrow. But there are moments of loss, plans that are unfulfilled, which do nothing but pile shame and guilt on us every time we revisit them. And at some point, we have to accept that I can't do anything about that anymore. Release. 
I can't wait to get over, I can't wait for them to get over me so that I can get over them, release. I've got to get to a point where I move forward, release. In Luke 17, Jesus says these words. He says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. And what Jesus is talking about, he's talking to people who are having an issue moving forward. He says, remember Lot's wife. In moments of necessary loss, we cannot keep looking back in order to catch what is given to us. Have you ever tried doing this in, re in real life? Have you ever tried catching something being thrown at you while looking back and running forward? You're gonna look like a fool. You're gonna miss it or you're not even gonna see it coming and you might even fall. Jesus is saying, don't look back. I will not revisit what I cannot revise. And even, our, even if our revisiting is searching for the perfect answer, we need to understand there is a loss that takes place that isn't gonna have a perfect answer to satisfy your craving in the moment. We don't know why we had to go through what we went through, but we need to trust that the promise of God for to prosper us, to, to lead us into a better future, is, remains the same. Truth must be present, trust must be present when answers are absent, and some of us are stuck because we are waiting on those answers, and we need to release all that we have been holding on to, and stop working so hard to keep that which has been building up in our homes, those boxes which are so full, and we're still carrying so much. Doesn't matter how many times we purge, we got more than we need to. Because what are we trusting? The people of Israel had shown a consistent propensity to place their trust and find their satisfaction in returning to what was. We can't find satisfaction in what is if we are always craving the satisfaction found in what was. The Israelites, they needed the new in order to move into the promised land. Moses, he understood this. God understood that. And even Satan understood that. God wanted to protect them. And Satan wanted to have this, this reminder that would keep them from moving forward. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 6 in the message, it says, A right time to hold on and another to let go. Stop holding. Church, we need to create space in our lives to receive the newness of what God has. It is really nice to say that God has something good for you, a plan for you in the future, but if there is no space in our lives to receive it, where is it gonna go? And we might not be willing to do that, but we have more trust sometimes in our ability to bring our own satisfaction than in God's. Sure, we make the statements that we trust our Savior with our salvation, but do you trust Him with your satisfaction? Don't, don't get me wrong, this is, this is difficult. And there's a group of people in the Bible struggling with this, and the Israelites, and God speaks to a man named Jeremiah, and in chapter 2, it gives us an insight into this. And he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, <coughs> and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. There are moments in our lives where we experience joy, fulfillment, happiness, but, there had, there, but then life has progressed. Maybe the plan 
didn't work exactly as we thought. Maybe your experience of faith didn't live up to the expectation. Maybe a relationship fell apart. An opportunity seemed to be just out of your grasp. And all of these different things, they take place. And then we have these romanticized versions of those moments of loss, these broken cisterns that we have sitting on our shelves, constantly trying to refill it for our own satisfaction and fulfillment, going back to what was, but it keeps on leaking because the loss was necessary because we didn't need that on our shelf anymore. We needed something new and we can't see it. And even worse, we're filling our shelves with these broken cisterns, these unnecessary boxes, these extra dodgeballs, and there is no space for the living water that God wants to give. Do you know what you need to release, church? Can you admit the the emotional attachments that we have to those moments of loss? Can you acknowledge your entitlement to the plan that you had before? And can you stop revisiting that which you can't revise and trust the Father for your fulfillment? The, the clarity of loss is dependence. You see it. You, you, you get to see what you're actually holding on to. But the challenge of loss is trust. What do you do with it? Loss helps you see it, but will loss help you do something about it? Year three is the year of release, of us letting go and no longer holding on to what was. That loss happened, that decision was bad, that moment was unfair, that relationship was unhealthy, that trust was broken, that, that person that you were back then no longer needs to have a hold on your life, but we are being called forward. And we are, we, we release these things to create space for the promises of living water that God has given to each of us and as a community. Trusting God for a release of His Spirit for a release of passion, for a release of revelation, for a release of breakthrough, and a release of blessing. But we need open hands to receive the release that God has in store. You have the freedom this morning to let go and to stop holding on. The loss that you encountered, that you've been holding on to, This is the invitation I want to give to you this morning. Would you release it? Would you not give it that power over you any longer? Don't don't frame your identity around that loss, but look forward into the identity that Christ has given to you as a child with the promise of living water. When we release, we create space for the ongoing, everlasting, eternal release of God. Releases our word for us as a church in 2020, 2021, this next year. And I'm believing that it starts with, with, with our release, trusting that the release of God is ever-present and coming to us. We just need to prepare ourselves. Would you, would you pray with me this morning? If you feel like there was a loss in your life that you have been holding on to and even as you've reflected right now, you've realized, man, that was necessary. That was a necessary loss. I wouldn't be here today if I, if I didn't experience the loss then. I'm so grateful for it. Well, my encouragement to you this morning, let's not hold on to it. Let's give thanks. Let's celebrate and let's release and look forward to the goodness that God has in store for us individually and as a church.
Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks that you are leading us and guiding us and shaping us. Thank you for those moments where losses come and that you are trying to lead us through and helping us to learn from. Thank you that even in those moments that you have been shaping our story and, and, and providing us an insight into your character and your heart for us. I pray this morning that you would give us the courage to identify with truth those areas of necessary loss, to not let it hold on to us and not be holding on to it and creating space in our lives for those, for those new cisterns to be full of the living water that you have for us. Father, we're just so grateful that right now there's release happening everywhere in our community to whoever is listening this morning, that they're feeling released in their life, released from shame, released from guilt, released from pride, released from, from all of the ways in which we hold ourselves back. We pray from a, a release from a previous relationship, a release from an addiction, a release from an area of loss in which they feel responsible for. Father, we just pray that your grace overwhelms our stories, that release comes into our narrative, and that we discover your goodness all over again. Thank you for the year that was and thank you for the year that is coming. We give you all the glory and we celebrate together this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.